Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Do you guys mind if I sit down today? Is that all right? You guys are all sitting down. I feel like I always have to stand up up here. It's truly not fair. Plus, they brought me a director's chair, and I feel like I like it, you know? I feel like I'm on a panel for a film that I've just created. Uh, but more seriously, my foot's all jacked up. I'm sorry about that. I know you guys like the back-and-forth motion and stuff like that, so try not to fall asleep today, and I will do the same. I'm on quite a bit of painkillers, so there's really no telling what's going to happen uh, for those of you guys who fa- are fans of excitement. Um, I could fall asleep, or I could say something that we'll immediately have to redact from the online recording. So uh, you got it here live, though. You'll always remember. Um, uh, yeah, it's been a, a weird and tough week for me, uh, but I'm here, and uh, I think it's going to be good. I'm really excited, actually, to jump into this text particularly. I wanted to make sure and sort of not miss it. Uh, so anyway, let's jump in. So uh, something I've been thinking about a lot this week is you really cannot hit a goal that you, can't, that you didn't set. Uh, you really cannot hit a goal that you didn't set. That's kind of like cliched business advice, right? Like you'll never get where you're going if you don't know where that is or if you're, you're not aiming for it, you know? Uh, it's kind of akin to that, like, shoot for the stars and you'll land on the moon. or No, shoot for the moon and you'll land among the stars. That's what it is, yeah. I don't know if that's actually true. You don't want to land on a star either. I know that's bad. Uh, but basically, the simple idea for this is, is for a lot of, like, businesses, it's important to recognize that if you're not, like, aiming towards something, then what are you actually going to hit, right? Like, it's pretty simple. Like, the goal of McDonald's is to be, like, the best fast food restaurant in the world. But if they started, like, building oil pipelines, then, like, something would be a little bit off. Uh, if a hospital, their, like, job is to, like, help people, then if they started selling cigarettes, that might not be the best thing in the world. Or uh, potentially if Facebook's job is to be like a good social media company and they branched out into like world domination by encouraging everyone to join this like virtual community and thus form like uh, functionally restructuring the way that we relate to each other as human beings and ushering in like a singularity where human beings and technology cannot exist without each other anymore and possibly like some sort of apocalyptic situation. Uh, That'd be bad, right? Does that hit too close to home this morning? Is that a little frightening? Anybody else here kind of scared of the metaverse? Uh, next week, by the way, church will be in the metaverse, just so you know, and we'll all be there. And my, my avatar's foot will be all jacked up just for, like, accuracy's sake, right? No, uh, what's kind of interesting is we don't really do that in our lives, right? Like, it's weird. You know, companies, they have these, like, vision statements, these mission statements. They're like, hey, this is what my company is setting out to do. This is what we're going to accomplish. This is what we're trying to do here on you know, in our lives, on earth, whatever. And yet, like, we as human beings, we're sort of like, somebody's like, what's your goal in life? And you're like, well, I don't know. Be alive longer than, you know, the next five minutes. Like, I I don't know. What's your target? What's your plan? So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to get a little bit kooky today. Uh, It's probably the painkillers talking, but I just realized this morning, and you guys have writing utensils and paper right in front of you. So uh, if you've never been to Alamo before, this is typically the way that you would get a cheeseburger or the Elvis milkshake, by the way. If you haven't had an opportunity, I highly, highly recommend. Uh, and so there's a little pen and a little piece of paper, and you do actually have to grab it uh, to participate in this sermon. You're going to need that. I see some of you looking at the menu. That's not really going to come into play here. But, you know, go ahead and make some plans for later. Um, yeah. All right. So grab a piece of paper and a pen. I'm giving you 30 seconds to write one sentence, 
What is your purpose in life? What are you here for? What is the goal that you are aiming at? And I swear, if I look out there and I see somebody say, live hard, die young, or YOLO, I will come up off this stage. No, write whatever you want. Uh, whatever comes out of your head, write it down. Got about 10 seconds left. This is more about speed than it is about total accuracy. Okay. If you stand that up in front of you in the little card, a waiter will come by and give you whatever you have put on there. So it's a pretty magical situation. Uh, no. Take a look at your thing that you wrote and ask yourself if you like it or not. Do you like it? Do you, does it feel right? Does it represent you accurately? Uh, maybe even ask yourself what is the role that like God or your faith play into that goal? Uh, how much of this goal is about yourself? How much of this goal is about other people? How much of this goal is serving God? How much of this goal is serving you? I don't know. Think about it. What's interesting is I feel like uh, Paul here is actually sort of talking about this kind of goal setting thing in our passage today. Now, this is, you know, 2000 years before Stephen Covey ever started talking about leadership stuff. And yet here Paul is saying like, hey, I have a goal and I am aiming towards it. Now, remember, if you were here last week, um, we talked about what it looks like to live as a Christian and how being in the kingdom of God means that we're sort of rejecting the kingdom of this world, that we can't sort of aim for both at the same time. And here Paul just reminds us like, hey, I haven't figured this out completely yet, but I'm telling you what I'm heading towards. I'm heading towards this particular goal. Let's actually pick back up in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me my own, made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What Paul is saying here is what's important is not how much he has actually succeeded at hitting this goal, but what is important is the target that he has set. If it's true that you'll never hit a target that you haven't set, Paul is saying like, hey, I'm aiming in the right direction. I'm willing to admit that I'm not perfect, that I don't have everything figured out, that I haven't done it all correctly yet, but I am aiming at the right target. And for Paul, that is the upward call of Christ or upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is following God with everything that he has. It is doing everything within his power to get closer to God, to understand God's will for his life more, uh, to be with God, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And really, this entire chapter, both what we talked about last week and, both, and what we talk about this week, is all about sort of like shaking off these false goals and targets that probably weren't going to satisfy us anyway and exchanging them instead for the kingdom of God. Thinking this way is actually a good sign of maturity. And I like that Paul in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. I also like that, too. That feels like a, a sort of oddly like kind of gracious statement. Like, hey, if you're mature, let us think this way. If you're not there yet, that's OK, too. One day, you know, you'll get there. He says like God will reveal it to them also. It makes me think a lot, especially since we're like such a young church and uh, very few of us are mature 
in our in our age, you know, like there's not all that many of us that are that are all that old and most of us are pretty young and we're very, very thankful for people who are sort of more mature in age. Uh, I know a lot of times uh, you may feel like, hey, you know, like um, all these young people are just sort of putting up with me, an old fuddy-duddy guy or something like that. But really, we are truly honored and glad that you are here. Uh, we need more age diversity, and it's tough to go uh, down from where we're at. It's easier to go up, I think. We've got a lot of headroom there. Uh, so uh, we are so, so very grateful. But a lot of us are very, very young in age, and so it's difficult, I think, sometimes to sort of process what it means to be mature. Right. Like it's difficult to process, like who is mature, who is not. And I think here Paul is actually laying out what some of that looks like. He doesn't say like, you know, we base it off of how long we've been Christians. He doesn't base it off of how much Bible knowledge we have. He actually says he says that for him, maturity is sort of based in uh, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The degree to which I think that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the degree to which we are actually living for this kingdom. The degree to which we are actually trying to see this kingdom of heaven that Paul here says that we are a citizen of. We can see it, and, and this is actually sort of part of what helps us process, I think, who is mature, who is still sort of growing in their faith. But we see it in every decision that we make, right? Choosing to make decisions for our own kingdom, choosing to make decisions for God's kingdom. Choosing to make decisions that will only satisfy ourselves. Uh, choosing to make decisions that will serve and care for others. Choosing to make decisions uh, based on a whole host of factors. Uh, all about the kingdom of God as opposed to just sort of like choosing what is not going to make us like the most happy or the most satisfied or the most easy as quick as we possibly can. That's sort of the difference in sort of immaturity and maturity is at least as much as we can process it. And so, if that is our goal, if that is what we are shooting for, then Paul says this in verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here Paul captures something super important. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying that if you want to be like, if you want to be someone, then you've got to look at someone who's like what you want to be. So he's saying, hey, if you want to be more mature, if you want to like be more mature in Christ, if you want to be a better citizen of the kingdom of God, watch me as I'm doing it and keep your eyes on those who are also doing the same thing. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is sort of like that old adage. I don't know why I'm pulling out all of these like businessy cliches, but sort of like dress for the job you want. Here, Paul is actually saying, keep your eyes on the life that you want. And notice we have like a real, real problem with this. <clears throat> if you're anything like me, at least maybe I should just say I have a real, real, real problem with this. Especially uh, in like the financial realm, we tend to envy people's lives that like we want to emulate. You know, we like see people online. We're like, wow, they're living a cool life. They have all this stuff. They have all this nice stuff. And and that's that's really what I want. And a lot of times we even like pick the station that's sort of like right above us. Have you noticed that you're like, man, if I could just get up to that next step, I don't need a whole lot. I just need something a little bit nicer, just just a little bit more. If all of your friends start driving new cars, you want a new car. If your brother buys a big house, then you want to buy a big house. Uh, it's very, very complex. And it's sort of strange. I thought about this earlier this week. You know, uh, a lot of us, if you, if you went to college, you found yourself at one time, like, sleeping on a blue mattress. And if you're, you know, a janky kind of trash person like me, 
that sometimes you even found yourself on this blue mattress that thousands of people have slept on before with no sheets because you were too lazy to wash them, you know? And then, like, fast forward 15 years later, and you're like, I need to buy this comforter because it'll impress my friends. Like, that's not the way that we used to think. It's weird how just, like, the people who are around you shape what you actually think is cool and necessary and good for your life. And sadly, uh, you know, that's like a, a pretty natural thing, right? Like, that starts in third grade. We see all the other guys get a Nike backpack, and we want a Nike backpack. Like, that just, that happens, right? But sadly, in the world of social media, everyone around you is now everyone on the freaking face of the planet, right? Like, no longer is it just Miss Upton's third grade class. Now it is the entire world at my fingertips, and I'm scrolling through, and I'm saying, like, man, I could really get into that. You know, and it, it sort of normalizes all of these wants and needs that we have. When we see these other people living these lives, we're like, man, I, I don't really want much. I just, I just need a little bit more, you know, like... I just need a, a house that's like close to downtown, but also I can ski in and ski out of. And, you know, like uh, I just need like one infinity pool. Like these people have three. They don't, that's crazy, right? Like I'm just a simple guy. I just need, you know, a few little things, just a helicopter pad. I don't even know if I'll get the helicopter, but I need the pad now to make sure just in case I have it. You don't want to go back and have to rebuild a helicopter pad. That'd be crazy. All of it starts to seem normal. Now, I'm, I'm listing out some sort of like absurd examples, but this happens in like normal average life, too. I actually uh, follow some like woodworking subreddits, which is uh, just a happening time, really. Uh, it gets nuts there, you know. So, uh, But I follow these sites, and I remember the other day I was looking at this lamp that this guy made. It was really cool. He's bending and shaping this like uh, black walnut. It was really, really gorgeous by the end. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make that. And I started looking at it, and I was like, oh, snap. I think I'm going to need a better table saw. And I was like, ooh, I'm probably going to need a planer. And then I was like watching the video again, and I was like, oh, snap. He has this like humidifying room that I don't have. I'm going to have to have one of those. And I started looking at it. And as I was watching the site, I started seeing other people walking around in the background. And I realized this guy is a professional woodworker in like a warehouse. There's like 10 other people that work there. And I'm like, I need this for my house. Like people are paying him to make this lamp. And I'm like, you know, it'd be fun as my hobby is if I drop $30,000 on woodworking equipment to make one lamp. That seems reasonable, right? No, it's crazy. And then at the same time, I'm watching this woodworking guy, and I'm like, man, I really, really want to be you, and also I want an infinity pool. And yet at the same time, that woodworking guy does not have an infinity pool. So what I have done for myself is lock myself into a place where I'm envying somebody who, you know, for whatever reason has an infinity pool. Have you guys seen these with the little edge that's, like, disappearing? They're amazing. Somebody has an infinity pool over here, and then I'm also envying this woodworker who has, like, $30,000 worth of professional woodworking equipment, and those aren't even the same people. You see what I'm getting at? Like, how crazy is it on social media that we can be envying different people in their different lives? And when we're scrolling, we're like, wow, everybody's got a Ferrari, right? I just saw three posts with a Ferrari. And then you're like, everybody has $30,000 worth of woodworking equipment. I just saw three posts with it. And yet those are not even the same people. There's not even one person that has all the things that we want. And yet I, as one singular person, am watching all of these other people and realizing I cannot match that. Now, it's super easy to laugh at people who are definitely not us. You know, they're not as wise as us. They're not as greedy as us, for sure, who've been sucked into wanting that. Because it feels like when we think about our wants and what we actually feel like we deserve or need in life, it can feel like we're the simple ones, right? 
you know, sometimes we even watch those ridiculous, like, you know, Instagram reels or something like that just to feel better about ourselves, right? We're like, no, I'm not greedy and selfish like all of those people. But I think if we really got to the heart of it, if it's true what I was saying, that sort of the people that you're around sort of like set the standard for what you feel like you need and you deserve, then at the end of the day, the people that we're around through social media and even in just our regular lives are setting these expectations. And all of a sudden, these desires that we have become expectations, they become normalized, they become things that we feel like we deserve. And then all of a sudden, they become things that make us dissatisfied if we don't have. That's the slippery slope. And the gap between having that life and the life that we have is just filled with dissatisfaction. It's just this huge gulf of being dissatisfied. When yet, if someone who was living maybe in like a social strata just beneath ours was able to live our life, they would think, man, I have really arrived. I've really made it. Somebody comes over from like a third world country and gets to see my life where I feel like I constantly don't have enough. I don't have the things that I need. I don't have the things that I want. They come over and see my life and it is just the pinnacle of decadence. All of this is centered around our ideas of expectations. And those expectations are set by the people that we see and the people that we want to emulate. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on me. This is going to be very important to keep your eyes on people who are actually following Jesus. Because if you put your eyes on other people, you're going to end up dissatisfied. Or you're going to end up aiming for a target that you should have never been shooting for. What we need to do is actually recognize, name, and slay those desires within ourselves. And we do it by naming and or, or naming something that we really want more, right? Like naming something that is more meaningful and more important to our lives. Now, uh, I'm going to do it for myself uh, for just a moment. I'm going to sort of like walk through this process, and it is shamefully vulnerable right now, okay? So uh, don't judge me too, too much on this. Uh, I'm opening up my brain and showing you the people that I envy and bringing you along, okay? So uh, what it would look like is something like this, where you say, No, Captain James Cook, I cannot follow you on a life of discovery and adventure as cool as that looks. I have a wife and a daughter that I love very much and cannot leave. Also, it's not the 1700s and everywhere is not discovered, right? No glamorous TikTok videos with the Hey, Hey, Hey song in the background. I will never make enough money for your fanciness. And the money that I could make to actually live part of that life should probably be spent on better things, like helping other people. My convictions require that before I buy a Ferrari, I should probably help someone get a car who can't even afford a Hyundai. No shame on the Hyundais. They're just not Ferraris. Now... Uh, what I would like you to do, and uh, your writing is actually going to come back into play here, so all of those guys who were out there with the pen and they kind of like just moved it across the paper saying like, oh, I hope the teacher doesn't see that I'm not writing. Now you're trapped. You've messed up, buddy. All right, so you should have something on uh, the front of your seat of paper that says uh, what you're shooting for, what your goal is in life. And what I want you to do on the back of the sheet is actually think of something that is sort of uh, that you find yourself envying that is actually not in keeping with that goal. 
So, for instance, uh, if my goal is actually to be present in people's lives and to have meaningful relationships that are actually better for me and to have a better life uh, for the people around me and have people rely on me and everything like that, then I have to say, no, Anthony Bourdain and Rick Steves. While it looks amazing, I cannot actually be able to travel all around the world just as much as you do. As you see, there's a theme here. I'm envious, envious of these people that get to travel for their entire lives, right? And yet, there is something that's more important to me, which is like leaving an actual impact on the people around me. All right, so uh, write this statement out for you. Say, no, such and such a person or thing that you have been envying. It doesn't have to be someone specific. It could be something more sort of vague and abstract. No, something that I have been envying. I don't actually want that because there is something in conflict with that that I actually want more. This is the heart of what it means to sacrifice. Uh, and especially in sort of like the, the Christian world and the way that we think about sacrifice, you know, a lot of times it can be boiled down to this kind of like crazy thing, right? Like you're just giving up something you want for no reason. When at, at heart, what it actually is, is giving up something that you want for something that you want more. So do you crave this upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Do you crave the citizenship of heaven life? Do you crave following hard after God? Maybe recognize the things that are antithetical to that that you've been chasing after. I'm going to keep going while you're writing. No, Jerry Seinfeld, your life of making people laugh and owning thousands of beautiful cars is appealing, but I have to sometimes make people not laugh. And I don't have the capacities that you do anyway to generate that type of money, so I'll never have all of those automobiles. No, foster family with seven kids, four foster kids, and six dogs. While you're doing great work, I cannot even hope to emulate that unless God calls us away from the city or somehow gives us $10 million because my house cannot sustain that many children, much to our chagrin. No, pastor with a big house, nice car, vacation house, everything else. We don't pastor the same church, and until God calls me somewhere else, there's no changing that, and so I should not be trying to emulate your life. You see, yet again, the gap between what we are chasing after and the life that we actually lead is only going to be dissatisfaction. And so we need to be careful to check at the targets that we are actually aiming for. We need to be careful about the people that we're actually trying to emulate. And the only solution to all of this dissatisfaction is choosing someone else to follow. We have to choose a different life. We have to choose a different target. And I think that what Paul is saying here and what is consistent throughout the entire Bible is that the only option is to follow Jesus and to follow people who follow him. To follow Jesus and to follow people who follow him. This is a process that we call discipleship. What Paul is inviting the Philippians into right now, he is saying, hey, join me, follow, imitate me as I am following after Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, he actually says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this rather simple, seemingly on the outside process, is the process by which the church has flourished and survived through generations and across continents and across the entire planet to become the biggest religion on the face of the globe all through the simple seeming process of discipleship. Following someone and imitating their life, becoming a disciple to them. 
Jesus' final command to his disciples was to go and make more disciples. Not to make converts. Not to just go and get little check boxes like, oh, do you like Jesus? Do you not like Jesus? Okay, have a good day. But to make disciples, people who are trained up to look more and more like Jesus. And not even just to like go out and say, like, okay, well, you have Jesus now, so go and be yourself. No, Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples. Part of following me means that you are making more followers of me. You are inviting other people to imitate you as you imitate me. And in so doing, giving them life. This is the process of discipleship. And they did. They went out. They went out and made disciples. And then those disciples made more disciples. Those disciples made more disciples. And someone looked at someone else and said, hey, I don't have this all figured out. I'm not already perfect, but I am aiming towards this goal. And I am asking you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I am asking you to join me on this journey as I am following hard after Christ. And somebody did that for somebody else. And somebody did that for somebody else. And somebody did that for somebody else. And then if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, someone did that for you. Think about that. What we see as we trace our lineage back to Jesus is not some sort of train of like strategic moves. It's not some sort of like, you know, chain of like, well, this happened then this happened. It's not even like historical events. It is a chain of individuals leading individuals to be more like Christ. It is a chain of individuals trying to follow hard after Christ and having other people join them on that journey. That is what the heart of the church is and has always been of making disciples. Now, this can look any number of ways, but it must be a part of the Christian walk. So I thought about this. Instead of listing off like a bunch of like, you know, things that we all should be doing, which I I know can come off like, you know, kind of guilt inducing and just sort of like not all that motivated. I thought I would just sort of like open up and share what happens in my life. And I I want to sort of echo Paul here and say not that I am at all anywhere near perfect, uh, but this is sort of like the structure and system that I've set up in my life. And when it works, it is magic. And uh, it truly is uh, meaningful and life changing for me. These are certain rhythms that I have in my own life. Uh, where I find discipleship from other people. First, the Sunday gathering, I believe, is a place for discipleship. This is this odd sort of collective discipleship, and I know there's like a big movement out there in Christianity Today, the or not the uh, magazine Christianity Today, but Christians Today. Uh, I'm sure they talk about it too. I don't know. So uh, there's a big movement out there that's just sort of like, ah, discipleship is always just one person and another person and the Bible, and that's all the discipleship is. I don't really think that that's the case necessarily. You have different forms of discipleship, and I really believe that the Sunday gathering is actually a place where discipleship happens every week. The gathering disciples all of us from welcomers to worshipers uh, to everything in between. Everything that we are doing is showing someone else how to be able to do that thing. When I come in the door and someone welcomes me with a handshake and is glad to see me, they are discipling me. Because what happens is I've been going through like the rest of my life, the rest of the week, right? I've walked into the grocery store. You know, if you've been over to this King Supers over here by the lake, you don't walk in and be like, man, I feel welcomed and glad to be here. What a hospitable place this is. No. Somebody's like, why are you carrying a backpack? You know, like, you ever get that talk? Uh, it's a strange experience, right? But you walk in here and hopefully somebody says, hey, how are you doing? How's it going? How's your week been? Hey, how's that thing doing? How's, how's your mom feeling? How's, uh, how's that relationship going? Are things at work any better, man? Are you all right? Now, it may just be a brief conversation, but you know what that actually does for me in my mind? 
sort of triggers something in my mind where I say like, oh, my expectation doesn't have to be the walking into King Super's experience. My expectation can actually be that people are here. They love me. They're being hospitable to me. They are welcoming me. And it changes my expectation of the way that people should act just ever so slightly so that now I can in turn feel more comfortable in acting that way to other people. Every Sunday, Rayanna gets up here and the band, and they show us what it means to worship God. Now, I've been worshiping God for a long time. Uh, I've been in a lot of different worship gatherings. But when I come here on a Sunday morning, you know, I wasn't like singing songs to God on my way in to, uh, to come here this morning, right? My life wasn't shaped around actually like forming words taken directly from Scripture around my experience with the creator of the universe. No, that wasn't happening. And so when I come in here, I'm actually being discipled of saying like, hey, this is what this looks like. This is what this life can actually look like. And in my mind, it triggers something that says, hey, it's actually more possible. In the same way that you watch five people on Instagram with an infinity pool and then you start thinking like, yeah, I could have one of those, even though your backyard is not even elevated at all to have one. And it's also 10 yards square, right? Like you start thinking like, oh, this is a normal thing. We are doing the exact same things to our brains when we come in here every single Sunday morning. Secondly, I am weekly a part of a small group, and it serves a very similar function, except now I am actually in dialogue with the people that are discipling me. The people all around me, we are centered around God's word. We are praying for each other. And when I see someone else reading God's word and trying to understand what God is telling us through his word, it helps me to better understand what God is telling me to live out in my own life. When I see someone trying to apply God's word to their life, it affirms that same journey in me. And it makes me feel like I understand it a little bit better. When I pray for other people and have them pray for me, it changes my expectations around what prayer is and the way that God works in the world. And it makes me think, as opposed to those moments when I'm praying by myself and I'm thinking to myself, is God actually hearing me? Is anything actually going to change? No, when I am sitting in my living room around people that I love and we are all collectively crying out to God, it makes me believe again that all of this is actually possible. It disciples me to trust God more. The third way that I uh, am discipled in my own life is something uh, I like to think of as sort of like the Dead Preacher Society. Uh, I love reading uh, books, especially from guys that somehow just like seem to have a very similar experience to me. And it's strange the way that like Christians across different generations can actually sort of like pick up themes and kind of flow and, and kind of share a lot of similarities. If you've read many like Christian authors and, uh, you know, I'm not talking like Christian romance novels or anything like that, though, maybe that could be a thing. I'm talking like things that uh, people have written about their experience with God. It's amazing and just sort of astounding the way that like different people can sort of share the same bent in their soul, share the same sort of like even personality and desires. And as a result of that, I learn and grow from like reading these different people. Just this uh, two weeks ago, actually, I finished a book uh, called Letters to a Young Pastor by Eugene Peterson. And what it is, is Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote the message, but even more than that was like uh, the message translation. For those of you guys who don't know, it's a Bible translation, kind of in uh, hip early thousands language. You know, it's kind of funny now, like as it progresses, it gets like dated itself. But he put the Bible in modern language. And then, uh, but even more important to him than all of that was actually he was pastor of this small church he did church planting actually back in, in maryland before church planting was cool and he like 
pastored this small church for all of his life. And he, his son actually grew up and became a pastor. And so Eugene at this time was kind of retired and just focusing on writing. And his son would write him letters. And then Eugene would write letters back. And they actually called them Paul and Timothy letters because that's like kind of the experience that happens. And in reading those letters, a guy, Eugene Peterson, who passed away a couple years ago, a guy who is now dead and being with Jesus is actually having an opportunity to disciple me living in, you know, 2022 in the city of Denver, a person that I will never actually meet. This is sort of the, the modern uh, miracles of modern technology, which is the printing press, right? This is a book not all that modern, but like... Man, it is just astounding the way in which now Christians throughout the generations can speak across multiple hundreds of years even to say, hey, follow me as I am following Christ. Some of the most shaping people in my life over the past few years were John Mark Comer, Wendell Berry, James K.A. Smith, Paul David Tripp, Francis of Assisi, Augustine. All men who I will never meet and who may actually already be dead. And yet somehow our souls find some sort of kinship. We're able to find some sort of connection. Man, can I just give one little like hot tip to all of this? If you ever find someone like that. And read everything that they ever produced. If you're ever reading Confessions of St. Augustine and you're like, man, his life is my life, then I challenge you, just read everything else. It's a strange way in which the truth of God is passed down through generations by people saying, imitate me as I'm following Jesus. Finally, and I think most importantly, I meet up in person sometimes, sometimes virtually even, uh, with small groups, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes one-on-two, sometimes uh, as much as like four of us, groups of people who are seeking to follow God. Now, some of these relationships are weekly things. Some of these relationships are monthly. Some of them are quarterly. Man, there are some guys in my life that I just, uh, I uh, am on cloud nine when they call me like once a quarter, and it is just some magic older people who have been following jesus longer than i have or even just people who are more mature in christ than i am that i am able to say hey let me follow you as you follow christ some of these relationships and i think uh, some of the better ones we sit around and we discuss scripture together None of us like bring, you know, all infinite knowledge. None of us are perfect. None of us know all of Scripture intimately and perfectly, but all of us are seeking to figure it out. So we sit down and we open up God's word together and then we pray afterwards. And that's kind of it. It's nothing spectacular. It's nothing magical. Sometimes we'll go through a book together where we're saying like, hey, this is a person who's following God. We want to figure out what's happening there and and sort of discuss that together. And somehow through the magic of the Holy Spirit. God works in those environments and in those relationships to be changing and to be shaping. You know, and if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, I bet if you're anything like me, you can look back over your life and see that you've had multiples of those relationships. And they are some of the most formative and shaping things that could ever have happened to you. And they often start off so innocuous. I remember I had a guy that I used to uh, go and play tennis with. Uh, it's tennis during the summer, racquetball during the winter, and uh, he was kind of like teaching me how to play. I'd never played before. This is like back when I was in high school. And this guy, I mean, he, you know, like unspectacular in however he may be, was just a guy who cared a lot about teenagers. 
wanted to see them actually grow up. And so I was a complete knucklehead. I'm sure I said things that were terribly offensive to him. I'm, I'm sure I was like arrogant in my own opinions. And yet what he was was patient kind and as we are going to and from the tennis court as we are going to and from racquetball as we're like grabbing some ice cream afterwards we would talk about jesus we would talk about life we would talk about uh like relationships that i had in my life he would help me sort through different problems and he wasn't a pastor he didn't have any degrees in following jesus he did he didn't go to seminary or anything like that he was just a person who was following after jesus and was willing to invest his time and his energy into someone who was less mature in following christ than he was who wanted to learn more and and as i look back on my life it is just this chain of people who have done that i hope that you see the same Man, my takeaway from all of this is just sort of this idea that, well, I guess two things. First off, if you don't have any of those relationships in your life, I would just encourage you to seek them out and find somebody. Find somebody who's living the way that you want to live. Somebody who's following hard after Jesus. Someone who seems more mature in the faith and say, hey, can we just meet up every once in a while? It doesn't have to be, you know, like a lot of times discipleship gets really wonky when you enter into this like master apprentice kind of relationship. You're like, sir, let me imitate you as you imitate Christ. I want to follow you and be your disciple. That's kind of weird, right? Like, but just getting together and saying, hey, can we have coffee, pray together, maybe read some scripture together and see what happens can be life forming now here's the sort of like other thing that i want you to think about many of us have that in our life or have had that at strategic times in our life and the tricky thing about being a young church like we uh, very much are is that many of us don't know when we cross some sort of threshold to actually be that person who is discipling someone else it's difficult for us to understand that uh, Sarah and I are doing some uh, premarital counseling with a couple in our church. It is our, like, you know, I think it's like our sixth or seventh wedding that I've done. We've done like three or four different premarital counseling groups like this. And every single time, uh, without fail, at some point, uh, Sarah is going to say something like, well, you should find somebody, like an older couple who's been married for like 10 years and get their advice on this. And I look at her and I go, that's you. That's us. We've been married that long. We're the old couple. We're still looking for an older couple than us to like teach us how to be married. We've done it for a long time now. And I'm not saying it's perfect or anything like that, but at least we've got the longevity piece in there, right? I mean, it's been happening for a while. That's something. Man, it's just astounding. Uh, I think in this modern age, it's difficult sometimes to recognize when you've actually sort of like grown in your maturity. And that is a gift from the Holy Spirit, is a gift of God to be used in your life, to bless you, to encourage you. That time when you can think of yourself more and better as a citizen of the kingdom of God. But if Jesus' final words to go and make disciples are actually true in our lives, then that is a gift not just to be used in your own life, but that is a gift for you and for everyone around you. There is someone right now, there's someone right now probably in your life who needs to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, who needs somebody to guide them in it. And the shocking thing is that person might be you. You may feel too young. You may be, feel too young in the faith. You may be, feel like, hey, this is not something that I can do. And you don't have to be like a, a professor or anything like that. You can sit down and say, hey, can we just read scripture together? 
That doesn't mean you think more or less of them. In fact, we can even have conversations after the gathering today. You can walk up to somebody and you can be like, hey, uh, do you want to read scripture with me? And neither one of you will know which one of you thinks you are, you know, the more mature, the less mature. That's the sort of beauty of it, right? Uh, you don't really even have to establish that. Man, just two people reading scripture together, praying together, trying to follow God. Maybe you're going through a book together and encouraging one another. These are life-transforming relationships. And all that it does is shapes us into better citizens of the kingdom of God. Paul actually concludes this passage like this. So after saying, brothers, join in imitating me, he says, keep your eyes on me and those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says in verse 18, for many, he's talking about other people, many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, now listen closely to verse 19, or else I'm going to have to preach a whole other sermon, because this is just some of the most beautiful, artful language in the entire New Testament. These are people who are walking as the enemy of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Man, I don't want to even talk about anybody else. I want to talk about me in that sentence. Man, how often is that the case for me? It says their end is their destruction because they are not following Jesus, but their God is their belly. I don't know why... But that is just a, a, a terrible and terrifying sentence to me. My God is very often my belly. And I, I shape my life around like three square meals a day. I'm like, no, I have to do this and then so that I can eat lunch. You know, like everything is just sort of shaped around that. I'm just, and not even just sort of like your own physical belly of having food all the time, but even thinking like the decadence that we just sort of like feed to ourselves. Their God is their belly. Can I just do a quick plug? Sorry, I'm running late. Can I just do a quick plug that in about three weeks we're actually going to start Lent? The only antithesis to finding out that your God is your belly, the only antithesis to finding out that feeding yourself both in things and actual food is taking some time to fast. Maybe whatever it is that's popping up in your mind when I read their God is their belly is the thing that you need to give up over, the, over our like Lent series that we're going to be going into. Anyway. With minds set on earthly things. Man, can I just put into this category all of those people that we're envying on Instagram, all of those people that we're trying to be, all of those friends around us who have something that we don't have that we want, all of those things that we are craving, all of those people whose lives we are trying to emulate, but whether consciously or subconsciously, all of that fits into this category of their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory and their shame with mindset on earthly things. And then Paul says, but, and this is what makes us different. This is why we can no longer follow those people. This is why we have to follow people who are following Jesus. He says, but, but our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong here. We don't have a place here on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Second, that God rescues us from this earth. No longer do we sort of like find our identity and our placement in here on earth. He says our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Paul says your citizenship is no 
longer here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the choice here is said before you. It's very similar to the choice that you had last week. You can sort of choose to set your mind on earthly things. You can set your mind on filling your belly. You can set your mind on finding glory in things that are even shameful in comparison to the glory of God. You can choose to have your citizenship firmly rooted here on earth. Or you can choose to have your citizenship in heaven. Where we wait on the coming of Jesus who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. The power that enables him to subject even all things to himself. This is the choice that is set before us. Man, and I, I hope if you're out there today and you're, you're thinking like, man, I've been chasing after the things of this world for a long time. I've been trying to find something to satisfy me. I've been trying to find something that will finally fill this empty hole in my belly. And I hope this is good news. Your citizenship doesn't have to be here. You can step off of the, the rat race wheel. You can step out of this entire game that's impossible to win anyway and have your citizenship in heaven. And if you today are still sort of like figuring out this whole following Jesus thing, can I just offer to you that because of his free gift on the cross, you have an opportunity to become a citizen of heaven today. You can actually make that decision in talking to Jesus in just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And in that time, you can say, Jesus, I am tired of chasing after all of these things that I know won't satisfy. Jesus, I need you to satisfy me. I need you to give me a new body like your glorious body. I want to be with you for eternity. I don't want my end to be destruction and hell. I want my end to be citizenship in heaven with you. And the beautiful thing is that in asking for that, Jesus' response is always the same. He says, yes, my beloved child, that is what I've been waiting to give to you. That is what my death on the cross has purchased for you, for you. For those of us who already follow Jesus, man, it is it's difficult sometimes, I think, to keep our citizenship in heaven. It is difficult sometimes to remind ourselves where we truly belong because day in and day out we're a part of this world and chasing the things that it has to offer. I was actually uh, reading a part of a story this week about uh, what is going on in the, the Ukraine and everything like that, or Ukraine and um it's astonishing sort of like the cultural and, and uh, social kind of complexity that's happening there and, and the feelings towards like Russia and everything. I'm not going to jump into this like whole new story that I probably don't know enough about. But man, I, I also read a little bit about like the Crimean Peninsula and the way that that was like taken by Russia uh, a few years ago. And it's strange there uh, what these people now think of themselves because they have an opportunity, right? Like, you either think of yourself like, oh, okay, I'm Russian now. You know, like, uh, I no longer, Russia's taken us up back over. We used to be at USSR, now we're back in, you know, Russia and a part of that, and we're no longer Ukraine. Or there's sort of like this, this, this idea that you would still think of yourself as Ukrainian. 
You know, like you are now just living in occupied territory. An enemy, a foreign enemy has come in and made your home their home. And yet still you live, you know, hoping for a day when Ukraine will be reclaimed, hoping for a day when you have autonomy again, hoping for a day when you can be your own free country again. Man, it's hard work. It's a difficult and challenging thing. But I think in some ways, this is the task that Paul is calling us to. To recognize, despite all indications to the contrary, that our citizenship is actually in heaven. To recognize, in spite of all that this world has to offer and is trying to pull us towards and sell us and make us do, we are citizens of another country. Man, and one of the best and only ways that you can possibly do that is by being discipled by someone else, following someone who is following hard after Christ, following someone who displays that citizenship in Jesus proudly, following someone who is living the life that you want to live. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.